0: Hey everyone, welcome back to another episode of the Uncivilized Podcast. I'm Brady, Art is here. Our editor Gavin is making an appearance and Emmanuel is back with us as well. Today we kind of wanted to record something not so serious, not an interview, anything like that. We've been thinking about doing a Q&A for a while. We've been collecting some questions and we're just going to spend a little bit of time today answering those and I hope you all enjoy the conversation.
1: I feel like we've um, not dodged questions, but we kind of left some behind in the dust. We tend to do that.
0: Yeah, probably. Yeah,
1: there's a lot of questions
0: over the last five years that we've not really ever answered. So I think it's only fair that we get to them now.
2: People be putting some dumb shit in the comments.
0: They do, y'all. Y'all are either some of the coolest and nicest people that I've ever met, or you're fucking stupid. <laughs>
3: Guys, why don't, you no go- why don't we agree, guys, that the left and the right should be united? Unsubscribed. Especially,
0: especially that one fucking loser that's probably going to comment under this video that said that he unsubbed, but I know he's still waiting for the notification. You specifically. Fuck you. The one that's afraid of
2: vaccinations?
0: Yeah, yeah, the guy who's afraid of vaccinations. And says no, 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 so uh, there's, the, there's, the,
3: there's the guy afraid of the vaccinations, and then there's the other guy who thinks we just make fun of the right too much, and that we're a bunch of... Uh, uh, bickering laughing leftists oh bickering leftists yeah absolutely
1: that's uh, not something that i've ever been called before so okay
3: (laughs) Uh, davin you ready to ask some questions
1: all right so we'll just start out with our uh, first question um how do you understand the notion of progress i wanted to ask y'all specifically um do you view this more as a split between like political progress social progress? Uh, technological, or is it all one in the same, somewhere in the middle?
0: Um, I think so. I think that for me personally, I see them as a split phenomenon. Obviously, you can also see progress as just the the passing of time, even, which some people do see progress as just the passing of time. But I I do believe that economic, technological, and political progress are are definitely separated. Some I appreciate more than others. Obviously, we're, we're anti-Siv here. Um, not all of us are primitivists I'm going to keep saying this every single time I'm on this fucking thing now but yeah I think art has a little bit more uh, enlightened position on this I I don't I don't give a fuck
3: yeah so I think part of it there there's the Marxist well I should say it's a liberal idea that Marxism and and socialist or left-wing anarchism have inherited from liberalism is this idea that technological progress is necessarily associated, or technological and economic progress are associated with social progress. So they like, you know, essentially, women can't be free until technology frees them, or, you know, anything like that, that basically, it's a determinant of any social attitudes have to necessarily be associated with technology, or economic development. Um, And this idea that like, history is, or I should say time, is kind of tending towards in some di- some direction, which is kind of Brady was talking about with that idea of progress, like linear progress. To me, I also kind of find that to be a load of shit. Uh, which is why I, I my conversation about language has been changed, and the idea of pre-civilized versus uncivilized or non-civilized uh, implies that everything has become civilized when we know for a fact there are people that are considered not civilized. And so even our language needs to reflect kind of our critique of progress.
1: Yeah, so you're saying it's more of a spaghetti line than it is a straight arrow. You wouldn't even say it goes in any one direction. I
3: think civilization has an inherent need to to complexity, towards complexity which was, you know, for the lack of a better word, we'll call progress. It has that drive, but it doesn't necessarily always mean that it fulfills it. But it has the logic of progress within it.
2: This definition might be um, over-specific for progress, and I would differentiate it from other definitions, but I think, when I think of progress, I imagine what's at the end of it, and I imagine, like, um, all of the principles of civilization, like, complete control, complete alienation, complete domination, and I see, like, uh, just a place that doesn't even have, like, human beings anymore, just machines, And that's what I feel like uh, progress is just steps towards that. Each step is more towards the totality of that domestication and domination.
0: See, I think that's kind of where our ideas split, especially for me. I I really don't think towards uh, what what people call the so-called progress or the future. I really only think in the moment. So that's why I say I really don't have anything enlightening to say about progress, because I, I generally don't think about it too much. I see the conditions that I currently live in and maybe some trends that we might be following towards, but I don't put much much stock in those trends because I I see how fast things can change. Things can do a 180. We can go faster than we thought that we were going to before. You never really know. So I I try not to dwell on it too much.
1: So Our next question is, how do we stop the far right from using climate change to recruit fascists and push for their eco-fascism? What do y'all think?
0: Oh, I do have some stuff to say on this one, and that is to stop letting the left control the climate narrative. That is the biggest fucking issue that I see is with social anarchists and other fucking liberal pieces of shit that dominate the climate narrative, and anyone who opposes that climate narrative is automatically on the right wing. And the people who are making the most effective counter climate narrative to those socialists and whoever the fuck else is on their side is the far right. Those are the people who are getting galvanized because people look at what's happening now with the the Just Stop Oil protests and other other things that have happened, I'd say, what, aren't in the last 10 years or so, and they see it as just liberal garbage. And where they can turn to from there is fascism, and that's what they're doing.
2: You can see quite simply that throughout history, fascists just take whatever issue is at large and they adopt it to, um, to their program. Just like how they uh, appealed to workers' rights during the pre-World War um, time, now this is the new thing that they're going to attach themselves to. And I don't think there's anything particularly that you can do That will stop them because they're going to this is like just part of their strategy. They're going to continue to do this. And so stopping the far right from using climate change just involves stopping the far right in general.
0: Oh, I definitely agree with that. There's there's an element of hostile, uh, hostile speech and hostile action that needs to happen against the far right. Um, But I do think that we still need to emphasize that the only solution for climate change is not in the left. Because I, I think that's where most people are going from here is they they look at the left and they see them as the only people that can address climate change and climate uh, disaster when that obviously we all don't think that they can.
3: Yeah, and I think this kind of reminds me of utter Rule's quote: uh, "The struggle against uh, uh, fascism begins with the struggle against Bolshevism," and I would say the struggle against fascism begins with the struggle against leftism. Um, that very often because the left. Uh, Puts themselves up Of course every ideology will do this That we are the only ones that can solve the problem If you're not with us, you're against us You know, you're reactionary Right, that if you continue that Narrative, and of course uh, Liberal and leftist Whether people want to admit it uh, Essentially leftists had bought into the liberal Concept of environmentalism uh, But with everything else that they buy into With leftism, they just accuse, or with liberalism They just accuse liberals of not going far enough Or following up with their with their claims, uh, and because it's rooted in liberalism, in progress, so-called in in economic unlimited economic growth, it will continue to fail. I think we're starting to see a little bit of a change with even leftists adopting kind of the degrowth model, which I think is more and more people kind of coming to a realization that economic growth for its own sake, even like you know historically, like the socialists have argued for something like that, is fundamentally related to the climate crisis. And so, yeah, I think uh, that Emmanuel's right that it's not so much you can just combat combat eco fascism in particular, you have to fight fascism. But that also means having the struggle against leftism and all the others that claim falsely that they have the the answers and solutions to the climate crisis.
2: This is an idea that we're going to probably go into more depth on in the near future. But we can see that how even some of what we consider the radical left, not always specifically with climate but um in general favors policies that are essentially just business as usual. Yep. And in that sense they're not like because we we understand that communists are the progressive wing of civilization that they like the other wings of civilization exist to bring people into the fold. They want to assimilate and they yep. want to continue civilization going forward no matter what the cost is.
3: Brady, I want to ask Brady, in your mind going forward with how fascism has developed in this country um, in the last couple of years, I mean, I, I, you know, people make this this boogeyman out of Trump. Uh, and I think there's there's it's right to some degree and Ron and others. But since fascism, I think in many ways, has evolved in the public eye um, or in general, rather, how do you think the struggle against fascism has changed?
0: I think it's changed quite a bit since Trump, Um, honestly. I don't see, which a lot of people do who have come into politics since the 2016 election, they see Trump as like this kind of dipping the toe into fascism and seeing how the country will react. I think we've seen this all the way back, even Dick Cheney, Kissinger during the Vietnam War. Uh, Mm -hmm. I think that the more open militant reaction to fascism in this country as it did during the Vietnam and the Korean wars, probably we aren't going to see again. I think a lot of what we're going to see is this new model of kind of like the uh, the Black Lives Matter protests, which I was a part of, and, and uh, I'm not going to say where. But I don't know with how the current state apparatus is going forward, how it's manifesting. I don't know how well it's going to work, because obviously, I think all of us would agree that The American state itself is a fascist one. But we have not seen a competent fascist leader in this country. And that's what Mm. I'm concerned about. Obviously, we all understand that fascism is a threat no matter where it pops up. Because give it 10, 20 years and a small fascist movement can turn into a large one. Um, But I think we're kind of at the point in this country where... The only place it can move forward is a competent fascist leader coming into power, and I, I don't know how we stop them from there. I think once that happens, I think we're in trouble. Um, I-, I don't have any good answers, and I don't know if anybody does.
1: I do. You gotta vote. Oh yeah, vote harder, everyone. That This will solve all of our problems. Just vote. <laughs> is that everybody's thoughts? Um, do we want to move on to the next one? Well, Devin, what do you think? I'm not too sure. Um, y- you know, I would just ask, is there a precedent of the far right specifically using climate change to bolster themselves. And, um, you know, it's such a new phenomenon to worry about so radically that, you know, it's just hard to judge. These are completely new answers.
0: I would honestly argue that the precedent was set with the, um, with the Christchurch shooting. If you, if any of you have read the, the manifesto of the Christchurch shooter is that, um, his thing was obviously uh, Muslim immigration, but also talking about uh, possible climate refugees. Uh, that was a big thing that spawned out of, I mean, I would say that that was already in those right-wing movements, but I think it was definitely amplified after that shooting.
1: Is this going to be mm-hmm. the blueprint for ecofascism going forward, or do you think it could take a different turn?
0: I think so. I think so. With what we're seeing now and all of the different groups that have spawned out, um I mean, you don't even got to take my word for it. You can look at the uh, reports from the uh, Secretary or the Department of Homeland Security, where they say that um, eco-extremism is the number one threat to American stability and safety for the next, I believe they said the next decade. And when they mean eco-extremism, they're talking about... um, honestly mostly people like greenpeace and shit like that but when i hear that i think of these right wing groups that are popping up out of all these different mass
3: shootings yeah yep yeah. i think another thing too um is the association of Dizinski with ecofascism and we've talked about this before um is Really, Ted didn't help his case because I think m- most people agree his best ideas became less important in his thought when he was in prison, and you know he wrote a piece called "Ecofascism: An Aberrant Form of Leftism," but really he established himself. You know, I get where he was coming from in summary darts to what he tried to talk about, but I d- I think he set a precedent that made it very. It's very easy to read Kaczynski from a fascist, particularly ecofascist lens. So, you know, before he passed, he's like, oh, you know, I just don't get why I'm not with you. And, you know, it's my dog is barking now. Um, But, you know, I just don't think he helped his case. That's another part of it is his association, too, with primitivism is that eco-fascists, we've known them. You you guys are in our comment section. You try to make solid your sympathy with us as primitivists and anti-civilization anarchists, but you can't get it through your fucking thick skulls that... We are anarchists, so we are against fascism. Like something just isn't clicking over in their heads.
0: Uh, maybe if I drop an epic red pill comment in this comment section for the twentieth time, maybe they'll listen to me. <laughs> I think that's what I'm gonna do. Like now nah, we've been we've been arguing against you motherfuckers since 2019. Like when when the fuck are you gonna understand? Oh, before that. When when was our first video? 2017, 2018? 2018, 2018, yeah, we've been arguing against you guys for five years now, and you still don't fucking get it. I don't know how many times
1: we have
3: to say it that we're not with you. <laughs> the irony is that leftists would see will see you guys are the same because they see affinity with you. But to me, that doesn't hold up because, as we know, fascists are appropriative. They appropriated the class struggle idea, so does that mean, you know, I mean, look at what Lenin had to say about Mussolini, but I, I don't know, maybe we can just ignore that one, I guess. This is a... Uh... The horseshoe theory confirmed.
0: That's fucking. That's something else. I never knew. Thank you
1: for the uh, thank you for the warning on that. All right. Um. Yeah. So this next one comes from an uncivilized good friend, uh, Sky. How should anti-civ anarchists respond to accusations of transphobia? This seems like a good Artemis question. Tell them to sh- shut the fuck up. <laughs> that's usually. <mad. laughs>
3: I mean, at this point, I'm so fucking tired of it. I'm so tired of these arguments. And this is the same thing. This goes back—the internalists this, internalize this idea of progress. That for to be an ally of trans people, to to support trans rights, quote unquote, or trans liberation, you need to work. You need to worship at the altar of progress. We need more technology. We need to assimilate trans people into society. Um, and of course, that's not true. Uh, fundamentally, the question comes down to, and socialists will cope and see that, of course, they're not going to do this but are you willing to enslave a majority of the world's population to keep a system in which you have hormone replacement therapy that's the question you have to ask yourself and of course it also presents this idea that transness is a monolith that that transness is defined by access to hrt and of course some trans people pursue that i know trans people who do though i find it ironic people accuse primitivists of being transphobic but my my good friend persephone is on hrt and is also a primitivist and like that's just that's just the nature of it so i don't know i a lot of those conversations come down to well what what do you mean and when they say well they won't have access they need to just ask them are you comfortable enslaving the world's global south population to keep a system in which you are comfortable because
1: fundamentally it's based in fear not in any meaningful conversation about uh trans people. I I think gender identity itself has been such a fluctuating thing in culture over just all of human history. I don't think it's always been this one thing of, you know, there are straight people, there are trans people. This is how society is going to progress with these ideas. Who's to say what it would look like in a world without a civilization? Right.
2: Trans and gender non conforming people have existed long before civilization. And they will mm-hmm. continue to exist long after. And I think it's absolutely laughable to take a look at the world around you right now and say, this is the best it has been for trans people. Like, are you kidding?
3: Right. That's a great way to put it. Yeah. Right now, right now in the United States, best time to be a trans person. Best some time. Mother, some motherfucker from Florida says
0: that from behind their computer screen. <laughs> <laughs> awesome. Oh, God. Yeah. I know so, yeah, I'm getting I mean, pushed out of my home, but I have HRT, so that's cool. Oh no, I don't I don't have that anymore. Never mind.
3: But what's really funny, what's really funny is that argument that they'll make will slip very, very quickly into reformism and electoralism. Because the argument is, well, it's because it's DeSantis and the Trumplicans and all that. It's like, well, the system that allowed them to get there is liberalism. Of course, liberalism is the greatest friend to fascism, right? No, we need
0: to, we need to elect Coke funded Democrat to fight against Coke funded Republican to protect our, to protect our HRT. That's what we have to do. And if you don't agree with that, you hate trans people. Okay.
3: Oh, that's news to me. Thank you, Brady.
0: Mm -hmm. I can't even see these fucking questions. What's the next one?
1: (laughs) (laughs) Uh, um, You got it. Yeah. Yeah. I can read it. Um, So this one comes from an ancient, ancient video, like from the old podcast, Ancient. And uh, it's pretty relevant to what we were just talking about. How is it you can say you support the LGBTQ plus community by praising the idea of funding sex reassignment surgeries one moment and then a (laughs) sentence or two later suggested we also need to destroy the power grid? By this Mm -hmm. logic, wouldn't your anti-civ advocacy for destruction of the electrical grids, and, presumably, fossil fuel-based economies as a whole, erase even the possibility for trans people to receive the treatments they desire. I'm only asking because I hear anti-civ people say things like this, and they seem logically inconsistent Mm -hmm. at best, and disingenuous at worst. Operating rooms require electricity and other forms of industrial technology, as do the manufacture and distribution of pharmaceuticals. What am I missing? Shut the fuck up. Please tell me what I'm missing. Shut the fuck I'll up. Take
2: this one.
1: Go, yeah. go for
3: it. I think we could just leave it and shut the fuck up. But if you want to, if you <laughs> want to be the good person, you can answer it.
2: Yeah, I'll be the good person. I think it's. I mean, we would never advocate for anything like what they suggested. Anyways, we believe in peacefully abandoning things like the electric grid. But um, it's just like, yeah, I'm anti civ I would want to live. In a world without civilization, all these crazy technologies. But that doesn't mean I'm gonna like go out and destroy everyone's access to air conditioning, like, or reduce people's ability to get medicines. I don't see how that contributes to, to the world I want.
0: No, we're gonna we're gonna vote out the electrical grid. Yeah, we're gonna 2030 elect, is gonna be wild. We're gonna elect an anti-synth president who's gonna voluntarily turn off the electrical grid.
1: Mm-hmm.
3: But uh, I want to say something real quick. That this reminds me of a leftist I had an argument with fucking years ago. That it is reactionary for leftists and radicals to be against plastic. It's reactionary to be against plastic because it's needed in operating rooms in which there's no alternative. Fun fact: that's, uh, that's oh, a yeah. micro. That's a microplastic brain cope. <laughs> <laughs> You've heard worms for brains. Now get ready for plastic uh, microplastic for brains. Feels good.
2: Uh, well, I can't be free without microplastics in my blood.
3: These same people these same people will see these
0: studies that have come out where microplastics have been found in, in fetuses and they'll say, Ah, oh, this isn't a problem. No, just just use paper straws. Everything is okay. We're not gonna talk about this anymore.
1: One could say it's plastic in utero. Oh! Shut the hell up. Can can I have a tangent? I hate paper straws. I went to um a theme park about a year ago. Um, They gave me a paper straw for my damn slushy. It melted in two minutes and it was in a plastic cup. I, I just don't get it. All right, you I hate go. turtles. I-, I guess so. I, I really <laughs> guess so. <clears throat> um, dumb, dumb question. Okay, <laughs> Let's move on from dumb questions, shall we? This one comes from uh, I Lud. They've been around in the comments for a little bit. We got a couple of questions from them. Um, If it isn't too late, could you talk a bit about the feelings of consciously giving up civilization and technology? I think it's like giving up an abusive relationship or overcoming an addiction. Um, yes. I yeah. think that's
3: actually a perfect way to express it. Um, Perlman, Freddie Perlman, in in his book, James uh, History, Genesis Leviathan, frames it as it, it is an addiction. Like we, It's self-domestication, but it's also it's generational. Uh, it's a generational trauma in which, he, as he he talked about putting on the mask and the armor. Um, oh, voice crap. That was fun. Uh, and having to take that off, that's not just I wake up one day and I decide I'm not civilized anymore. Even uh, Jamie, who we just did a recording with, uh, refers to himself as domesticated. And he lives as close as you can to like, a Paleolithic lifestyle, uh, reasonably, up in Alaska. And it's just. You know, like, that's not something that's easy. And I know all of us here, like, we have our comforts, right? If it's a warm shower, if it's coffee made uh, in the morning, right? Like, I can appreciate those things. And sometimes, you know, I don't want to be outside all day. But yeah, so I think it's, it's a really accurate way to describe it as an abusive relationship as well as an addiction. But I would say fundamentally, it's an internalized domestication.
1: Yeah, and I, I think people just dumbing it down as like, oh, you, you're against technology, but you be on that iPhone. I, I think that's just really disingenuous because it is a huge conversation. At this point, having a phone can be as much of a requirement as having a roof over your head or warm food. Even though this is advice, which in this context is used as a tool for the entertainment side of things, it it has become a necessity. It It really sounds like an addiction to me. I don't know about you and it's it's even it i would say it's
0: even on a different level from a standard addiction though too because basically everything that we interact with nowadays in our daily life if you if you want to have those things well you have to have a job you have to make money we live in capitalism you want to make money you have to have an email you have to have a computer you have to have a card most people do i i know i i really probably wouldn't need a car with what i do now but all of these things, to be able to interact with others, you have to be involved. And that is a way that civilization has adapted to make itself so much more um, self, uh, it's self-reproducing. And there's no easy way to get around that, unfortunately, as much as we want there to be.
1: It, it is very encompassing. Um, even just watching this podcast right now, engaging with the radical thought of it, you're depending on technology, you know you listening right now, probably on your phone listening to it. But if we sent out like a newsletter or like a fucking magazine, you know, you'd be depending on the trucks through the postal service. You'd be depending on the chainsaws that cut down the trees. You'd be depending on all of it. And, you know, I think that speaks to the abusive relationship part of it too. Yeah, And
3: I will say too, what I find funny and of course leftists will walk, try and talk themselves out of this is they love you know what we've all seen the meme. Oh, you want to uh fix society, yet you participate in it. How curious. What's funny is they leftists will write that fine, totally, I get it, but it doesn't, they don't let that apply to us. It's like, well, no, because you're against all technology. It's like, okay, you're against capitalism, but you use money. Well, I don't have a choice. Okay. Yes, <laughs> right. And like, here's the thing, like more and more jobs, like it is almost impossible for me to do my job as a teacher without a laptop I take home, whether it's like I'm given one for my job, like there is no opting out. Now, there is a, I think there is a, uh, you know, something to be said about how we as individuals engage with the technology. Yes. But to say that we can just opt out. Nope, not true.
0: I will I do want to say so as well though, that even nowadays for most people, if you choose to opt out, if you're one of these people like Jamie, if you're somebody who fucking hops trains and does all of this, even trying to make new human connection outside of those groups mm-hmm. that already understand those kinds of things will be much harder as well. Because people are gonna see you trying to quote unquote undomesticate yourself and they're you're gonna be ostracized for most communities as well. So it's not Yep, it's something that we understand needs to happen for for people to truly have a more equitable relationship with each other and with the world around them. But it's not something that can be easily done. I, I don't believe personally that most people can take that path. Uh, it's, maybe that's kind of more doomer of me to say, but I, I do think it's
1: true. We'll move on to Anilet's second question, then. Um, This was on a more recent episode. Um, In regards to sustainable levels of technology or tools, I don't know. Obviously, it would depend on the location. Everywhere has different things. Maybe I am uncreative, but using the already extracted metals to make solar cookers that is used until it breaks and can't be used is, I think, a good use of technology because it gives us a way to cook food, make water safe without needing us to use wood. I see this as a potential transitional technology. Any thoughts?
2: I might disagree with you on this one. I will wait to hear your thoughts, but I I would generally agree that I think it makes sense to uh, to recycle in the most minimally pollutive way the the machinery that is already being uh, extracted from the earth. Because a lot of the stuff we have, I mean, I'm not I'm no engineer, so don't take my word for it. I'm sure there are plenty of machines that could be like upkept and made running for, you know, the foreseeable future without having to extract more materials. And it's not it's like i'm I am against civilization, but I wouldn't refuse to grow food because that's part of civilization. I do what's practical to my own survival and well-being, and I feel like it's the same with these sort of technologies.
0: Uh no, I, I agree for sure. I think that, what is done is done, the harm that we have now has already been done. And I think to try to create this sort of I, I want to say utopian, but I don't know if that if that fits it, but like this,
3: ideological like a, like an ideological purity exactly. It's
0: almost like ideological purity. I think the damage that's been done is already done. We need to move on from that. sitting and debating about things that we cannot change is not worth our time. Use what has already been created, and once you no longer have a use for it, then you don't need to use it anymore. I think that that's pretty logical if you think about it for more than five seconds.
3: So I definitely Mm -hmm. agree with uh, Emanuel on that. For me, it's one of those I don't care because I don't live in it. Like, I don't see primitivists argue that. I see non-primitivist anti sib people argue that. That's the basis of post-civilization. Like, we'll just recycle everything. But here's the thing with what uh, the Anilud said is like, I see this as a potential transitional technology It's like, okay, yeah, for you, but you can't make policy out of this. This isn't like, we're not, no one can't enforce that en masse, that everyone's going to just recycle shit, right? Like, and the, and without civilization, those social mechanisms are gone. Those don't exist anymore. And so, yeah, would people do that? And I know John Zerzan has spoken about that. And I so, this, I, like, This always just comes back to the line. What is the difference between all these different ideologies? You know, anti-civs, the umbrella, you know, you have like nihilist anarchism falls into that for most people, uh, primitivism, uh, naturism, post-civilization, all those people fundamentally doesn't matter. I mean, really, the difference is like, where does your critique come from? Uh, because why does the future matter? Because as anarchists are responsible, we are not responsible for for blueprinting a future. So especially in, in the case when, like, the global project is gone. So, like, yeah, I agree, but I don't care because people will choose to engage with those technologies or not. You know what I mean? Particularly those that are, like, portable. Now, when we're talking, like, massive machines, because capitalism has planned obsolescence, those things are going to break down a lot quicker than I think people let on, particularly without the rest of the upkeep of, of civilization and and trade networks and such. But, yeah, I just... I mean, it's one of those that's like, yeah, OK, I, you know, I don't know. I don't want to come off like a dick. And just I don't really get the question outside of like policy or like ideology. I don't make an ideology out of recycling because I'm not a postive person.
1: Yeah. Do you do you, uh, do you have any thoughts about that just on a personal level, though? Like, would you engage with this? Yeah.
0: Yeah. I see it as a personal on a personal level. Right. I, when right. I think of that, I don't think of it in terms of policy. Yeah. I think of it. In I terms mean, why- of use factor. Kind of like those comforts that we were talking about earlier, having a hot meal or a, a warm shower. Or- I mean, I'll
3: be real. Like, if civilization went away, if I had, like, one of those portable, uh, Brady, you know what I'm talking about, those coffee makers you could take with you when you're camping. What am I thinking of? Oh,
0: yeah,
3: yeah, yeah the French press. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, something like that. I'm just saying, bro. I think that'd be pretty cool, <laughs> you know? <laughs> yeah. So, I don't know. Yeah, like I'm that. one of those people that I, I
0: can't go without my hot showers. I'm going to totally be honest with y'all. I, <laughs> I, I would not survive very long without a hot shower. I'm
1: going to say, I'm trying to transition to the cold shower. I, I've been taking some more lukewarm showers, but I just can't get I've it. I've been on, no, listen, Devin, I've
3: been on, I've been on the cold showers, oh, man. They're great. I, love I live in I live in the fucking
0: wasteland. You'll never catch me <laughs> taking a cold shower.
2: I'll be on the warm showers till the day the grid falls. <laughs> Then I'll deal with it exactly. exactly.
1: On a more serious note, I think it is important if we are going to talk about things like detransitioning away from civilization from technology. That's not a negation of it in the in the moment. You know, I think a part of moving away from technology will be repurposing it. You know, anything for, as small as putting your stokes out in a plastic water bottle to, you know, repurposing. A fucking car, make sheet metal, use rainwater—you know that kind of stuff. I mean, think about this. Like, okay, let's take a
3: collapseist perspective, right? I don't buy into this anymore as much as I used to. But let's just say tomorrow everything collapsed, and let's say most people weren't going to be like, "Let's bring back America." Like, are you going to tell me people aren't going to just live in buildings or like use sheet metal to repair? Let like, even say let's like this, uh, this true future primitive that people aren't going to make shelter out of what's already there, like that would be done now the dip the issue is do you become reliant on it in which when those things become more scarce, will your culture survive? And that's that's not up to me to decide. That's up to each each group or individual, you know, and again, that just gets into don't get me wrong. I love speculating about the future. It's really fun, but I don't do it as like an ideological thing like Marx saying like this is the program for the Communist no, Party absolutely. type of thing, you know, but even I think it's kind of like um, I think it's kind of like anarchism, like for, you know, uh, Bakunin, like early anarchists did not confuse themselves. They did not believe anarchism, their ideal anarchism, were to be established right away. Like this idea of full anarchism didn't come about until really like late Kropotkin, like World War II era. A lot of like, like uh, if you read Bakunin's The cate- uh, Revolutionary Catechism, what he is describing is a transition to anarchism. And so if we were to be ideological, one could say there is a transition to primitivism, though I don't argue primitivism in that way.
1: But I hope yeah. that that metaphor kind of makes some sense. It sounds good to me. We for the next ones. Well, yeah. Thank you, um, Anilud, for those questions. Um, very cool. We'll move on to this next one. Um, what do you think of non-anarchist projects like Rojava? Brady, let's hear it.
0: Um, I have been following non-anarchist projects like uh, the struggle in Rojaba, the struggles in Chiapas and other parts of Mexico, South American struggles, groups like the FARC, and uh, all over for a very long time. And I will say that I'm not one of these anarchists who looks at any specific project with like a checklist that I have to check things off of my little checklist. And if they don't reach a set amount of those check marks, then I don't support them. I am a person who truly believes in, I would say Mm self-actualization and personal. I know like the whole libertarian idea of like personal freedom, but I really do believe in that. So I I support them. I know we've talked about Rojava a long time ago, and that's something that I kind of want to talk about again in the future. So if y'all want to hear about that, let me know. I'm a huge fucking nerd, so I can talk about that stuff forever. Uh, But yeah, I I do support non-anarchist struggles because I, as an anarchist, understand that I cannot tell somebody how to liberate themselves, and if they're doing things that I don't like, well, that's that's too bad. Like I just have to do what I can do for myself and everybody's going to do what they can do for themselves their families and their own
3: cultures that's up to them mm-hmm. on chiapas this idea you know and anarchists i think a lot of anarchists try to cope really hard with the fact that they're supporting a non-anarchist project by calling the zapatistas anarchist and yes there are anarchists in the zapatista movement but holy fuck stop calling every non non-authoritarian system anarchism you got to fucking stop doing that they have explicitly made clear they're not anarchist. They're rooted in like a neo-indigenous, neo-Zapatista movement, ideology, whatever you want to call it. They're not anarchist. And it's okay to support you, don't have to be a Puritan about it. Ideological purity, in my opinion, is like anti is, is an authoritarian idea. Does it begins you begin to have a cop in your head that says, Oh, am I allowed to believe that? And you shouldn't have those thoughts. You can be okay recognizing okay i might have these criticisms but they're struggling the same struggle i have so therefore i can be in solidarity with them and i can support them in whatever and i think that's Brady is trying to say and i fully agree with him
0: i i agree completely that's one of my one of my favorite things about being an anarchist that took me so long to come to to terms with because um, i was in the kind of social anarchist dogmatic Tube of horror swirling down like the fucking water in the toilet going into the (laughs) sewer drain. Where, as an anarchist, I recognize I don't have to have dogma. I don't have to follow a book. I don't have to follow a leader. I don't have to venerate anyone. I can see things as I see them with my own two eyes and experience them, which I really believe is kind of a, a fundamental tenet of anarchy: is seeing what's happening around you and internalizing those things and seeing how they make you feel as an individual uh, that that it's awesome because I can look at these different groups and see, wow, I, I really enjoy these things from these groups. And I think that there's a lot that we can learn from them, but maybe I would apply them in this certain way, or I'll think about their theory that they're talking about and apply it in this direction. And maybe I'll change it where that's the thing that confuses me the most about so many social anarchists and other people who call themselves anarchists is their insistence on sticking to this dogma that does not allow for personal or or theoretical growth it it stunts everything around Mm -hmm. them
1: and it, it makes me it makes me upset that's an important point because there's so much more that they can be doing with themselves that's an important point um we, we got to remember just in every single part of your life, y- you stand on the shoulders of everybody that came before you understanding these projects or, you know, conflicts, whatever you want to call them. It's, it's just very important for understanding the ways that you feel, what you can apply just uh, everything. Mm-hmm. History is one of the most
0: important subjects that people, most people don't take seriously. Um, you know the old saying: history, if not understood, is doomed to repeat itself. And I, I do very much believe that that is true. What do y'all think about that? What do y'all think about uh, uh, Emmanuel? What do you think about the non-anarchist groups? Do you support them?
2: Yeah, of course. Uh, anarchism is not the—it's like getting caught up in the name. Like there are things that that do not register as anarchist, but I can look at them and recognize like the soul of what's going on. And understand that it's a good thing,
0: right? For sure. I'm glad. I'm glad that we agree on that because that would have been a heated argument if we didn't.
3: I mean, it's the same thing. Like, even as like anti civ anarchists, like I support like workers going on strike. I support you know tenant strikes. I support like anything it takes for people, even if I don't think it's really doing all that much. Whatever, for people to feel like they have control over their lives, that means a lot to me because I feel very fatalistic sometimes as a as a non-willing citizen of an american civilization that like we don't have control over our lives you know and i think whenever people have that ability i think that should be celebrated and supported and i think this idea it's a well you know the, the labor struggle is not the solution to our problems sure but it doesn't mean i'm, not, I'm gonna tell the workers to fuck off i don't care about them you know i work i'm a worker and i have the best interest in
1: not being screwed over for sure Self-interest is a hell of a drug. Mm -hmm. (laughs) All right. um, Next question. What are your thoughts on affinity with occultists, anti civ sentiments in occultism, role of myth building for green anarchists? I'm really interested in what uh, Manuel
3: has to say, because I know Manuel is, uh, among us, probably the most interested in that kind of stuff. I'm
2: a fan of occultism, and it's... the 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 role of nature in occultism and magic is quite obvious but i do think it's important to distinguish between actual like uh like themes of liberation and nature versus like a highly domesticated view of nature in which it's something to be like exploited something that you know like the sort of stupid eco-fascist shit where they they project their own worldview onto nature
3: right right
2: and when it when it comes to to myth building i think that that is important and that's something that i'm especially interested in even though i have not come up with uh i have not gathered my thoughts properly but i would say that uh, when it comes to myth building that sort of story is important it's important to have a story moving forward especially through these times but it's also important not to like constr- like literally construct like a written story because that's not how that's not how myth and culture like comes into existence That has to come from an individual's, like, their personal relationship with the world around them and the beings around them.
0: Yeah, for sure. I mean, I don't really have a whole lot to say about that. It's not something that I've ever gotten into. Art, do you have any uh, comments on that? Yeah,
3: I find the role of myth-building again is really interesting because we are working against a myth right now, the myth of progress. Um, The assimilationist myth, the American dream still exists. All these things need need to be combated. And again, it's not saying I'm creating... The story, the myth. I'm creating a ca- a emphasis on the a myth, which is you know just a story or a way of expressing our ideas in a way that's you know interesting. Again, I'm going to refer to Freddie Perlman uh, against history and Leviathan. That book is written as a myth. Like you don't read it all that literally, but it's written in such a way as to sh- kind of tear or follow the threads of the myth that we find ourselves in already so those things are really interesting but in terms of occultism and anti sentiments um yeah I, I find it interesting it's not all for me i do find a lot of those things get really close a lot of occultism uh kind of finds its way to to essentialism you know like especially the whole like oh like the male and female energies that i don't really vibe with that stuff I'm not saying like people that believe that are inherently like bad, but it's it's you know it's kind of easy to fall into like far right politics with that for whatever reason. I'm not gonna speculate on why that is, Um, and I do think it can as kind of Emmanuel was talking about, kind of projecting some negative or anthropomorphic ideas into nature. I don't know. I think it's cool if people are vibing and they're finding that synthesis that you know gives them an avenue to navigate this shithole that we live in all the power to them i'm not gonna gonna say no that's bad i just not for me but i i appreciate people do that
1: the role of myth building is very important because you know we look we look into these primitive cultures and you know what do we find we we find a lot of these cultures have a precedent of oral tradition and cave drawings depicting some shit you'd say is pretty mythical and cultures based around the ritual and I I feel it's pretty clear that myth building is essential for groups like this.
3: Mm -hmm. Yeah. All right, let's move on. This next one, this next one, it, it, when I saw it on the, on the, on the comments, I thought it was fucking ridiculous, but here it is.
1: (laughs) Um, anti-tech rev based on negative utilitarianism. Also basically saying is the anti-tech revolution? Like Is It's
3: the idea based off negative utilitarianism. Emmanuel, do you want to answer that? Are we
2: asking like, is it in Ted Kaczynski's mind or our personal opinion?
3: I I think our. That's my understanding of it.
2: Okay, well, anti-tech revolution is kind of a silly idea, anyways. But mm. um, negative utilitarianism is also an even sillier and highly domesticated way of seeing the world, because the whole the whole worldview of that is based on creating an abstraction called suffering, like this this quantifiable thing and using that to weigh up options.
3: I am going to measure the world's suffering and I'm going to I'm going to I, to make a, a mathematical solution out of that. What causes more
0: suffering, me eating this cheeseburger or me punching a baby?
2: <laughs> <laughs> and this is where you get some really absurd ideas from negative utilitarianism. Like you get some really absurd um what is what is that the the anarchists that that fetishize technology, what are they called again?
3: Transhumanists.
2: Yeah, you got some really silly transhumanist ideas where they want to, and I've heard this like unironically. They want to like genetically modify every organism on Earth so that there's no more predators and nothing has to die ever. Like, what Mm -hmm. what are you even talking about?
0: Who was that that I got into the argument with about that one
3: time about predators? Yes, so that's the idea. That idea is called anarcho-prometheanism. Yeah, and he basically said we could replace, we would replace all. Prey animals was sideboards with like the guts <laughs> and the skin on it, and the animals like lions could just hunt these hunt these robotic gazelles, and there'd be no suffering. And, the and, system- and these people, and these people are the ones who say
0: that
1: we should be in mental hospitals. <laughs> <laughs> Nothing. I've, I've never heard of somebody wanting to create an illusion for themselves.
2: Nothing screams anarchism like forcibly changing the genetic material of every organism on Earth.
1: They're playing Pokemon
3: yeah <laughs> oh yeah so if i think this is the the uh the essay i didn't read the essay but i just found it an anarchist prometheanism against the gods let me see if i can find a quote here anti-predation is the opposition to predation and the op- position that it should be abolished let's quickly describe what predation is the biological interaction um uh, let's skip around here known as in which one organism known as a predator kills and consumes another organism known as prey for food. This cruelty deprives life forms of freedom from domination and the ability to have a choice in their development. It is also a matter of questioning why humans hold this monopoly on the ability to escape it and why others don't. Anti predationists seek, way, seek ways to expand this ability and the autonomy it provides outward to lessen the grip human ha- humans have over it so that other life forms can also participate in free association. Uh, you know what's bullshit. wild? You'll tell a so you'll tell a social anarchist
0: that they use their phone too much, and mm. instead of using their phone less, they'll come up with this shit. <laughs> but
1: here's the thing. No, what <laughs> happens is they watch Nat Geo once and then this happens. They see a baby they see a baby seal getting clubbed and they come
0: up
3: with this <laughs> bullshit. You no know what they it's see. It's, one of those. it's like when you watch a documentary about a lion and when the lion gets the diesel, you're happy. But when you watch a documentary about a diesel and it gets eaten, you feel bad.
1: who could have saw this coming
0: (laughs) the guy who's watching the documentary about the lion is like he's fucking sweating watching
3: the screen here's what it says anti-predation you seek to find ways to expand this ability and autonomy it provides outward to lessen the grip humans have over it that doesn't make sense because humans are then extending their grip at altering the environment That i have a lot of grip against like a fucking tribe of lions (laughs) living in
1: central africa i have a lot of sway over them imagine being so upset that you got to play god with your own environment no gods no masters remember only yeah
2: the only person that could ever like come up with this idea is somebody born in the suburbs that's never had to like kill to eat and they just think that all dying needs to stop because it hurts their feelings
3: yeah.
0: But if you see the amount of suffering that's being caused to these small animals being eaten by the predators is something that we <laughs> should definitely mitigate.
2: I think they I should, should go up to a lion and try and argue this.
0: That's what philosophy <laughs> that's what philosophy does to people. Don't don't get involved. Don't even philosophy one time. You know, this is what'll happen to you.
3: Um, Did we get off track? A little bit. I think Um, we're still following. We should
2: leave most of that. We should leave most of that conversation, though. No,
3: no, here's the thing. That (laughs) that works, because this leads. This is the idea of, like, this is where this idea of progress goes. Like, this is it. This idea. So let me get this straight. We control the environment too much. Cool. We agree. So you think we should control it more so that it's free? That's just Leninism. Using unfree means to create a free society? That's called... That's, that's a, that's Leninism, but you're now applying it to ecology and that's just Primitivists in anti anarchists, the only ones that ever fucking make sense. And this continues to prove my point that yeah. other anarchists are fucking dumb. I love you guys. Yeah, working
0: class people deserve self-determination besides like the Finnish and the Latvians and the Lithuanians and the Estonians <laughs> and the people of Central Asia and, you know, pretty much everyone else. Right.
3: Right. Yeah. All right. Wait,
0: what's the next question? Yeah. Let's, let's keep going. This, we've been going for a fucking hour already. Y'all ask too many fucking questions.
1: Jesus. <laughs>
2: we gotta pound them out now. Well,
1: this next one leads perfectly into what we were just talking about. How is AI affecting society, and how can anti-tech people fight against it?
0: Uh, I were talking earlier about the gamers who are really upset that that their sex uh, bot will no longer have sex with them. Uh, (laughs) What what was that, Gavin, that we were talking about? Yeah, Emmanuel, you
1: sent that article, uh, the replica AI. Like, it used to sext you, but now it doesn't. I
0: think this is a great injustice. (laughs) All
1: right, uh, what
0: do y'all have to say about the AI? Because I I really don't care about AI. I'm going to be totally honest.
3: I don't give a fuck. Um... This idea that it's it, okay as an English teacher, Chat Chat GPT pisses me the fuck off. Um, it's more and more de-skilling. That's all it is. Mm-hmm. It's nothing. It's nothing unique. We've lived with AI for a while. Advanced algorithms, and that's what Jet GPT really is. It's not generalized intelligence. It's it's a it's a what is it? A language model machine model. So I can't yeah. remember the term. Um, so it's not true AI. But I will say, the question is already, it's already brought up, like, is, is AI art real art? Like, what do you define as art, you know, and so more and more of the dehumanization, it it, it basically goes to show we, we as a species, all the things we pride ourselves on are not unique anymore, like people would say, Oh, we're unique, because we have language, we have ritual, we have art, we have this and that, it's like, so you're just making something else that can do things quote unquote better than us. Like the argument for civilization or human supremacy is negated by humanity's own creations. And I find that really funny, but in terms of fighting against it, I don't know. It's just kind of, for me, like I'm very clear in my classroom like that. I'm already, I try to have an anti-tech classroom, so to speak, like a low tech classroom and AI is part of that. And we try to have conversations. And I think this idea that everyone's on board's not, that's not true. I think that's that's probably just made the fuck up. A lot of my students are uncomfortable with it,
1: unless they you know want to do a final with it, and then I still catch it. But I don't give a fuck.
0: <laughs>
1: let let me say. Speaking of ChatGPT, I am terrified of my Gen Z doctor when I'm old and gray, just passing through med school with ChatGPT trying to take out my pancreas or some shit, you know. But but me and Brady were talking about this. AI is apparently trying to, um, or well, not AI, but humans are trying to replace medical procedures and decisions with AI. And that's a whole other can of worms right there. Brady, you work in the medical field. Uh, What do you think about that? I, well, to answer the first part of my, whatever that was, um, you know, I, In the healthcare field, I trust doctors that they're there for the right reasons most of the time. You know, every once in a while you spot a doctor. They're like, yeah, I get paid so much money, it's not even funny. But, you know, you wouldn't put yourself through the strife of medical school just to jerk it. But what is scary, like I said, is an actual AI determining, like, you know, a medical diagnosis, an AI controlling the robots that we already have. For your surgeries, you know, I I just don't like the idea of, oh, my appendix just burst. Now they're going to throw me in the fucking OR with a robot and no staff in there. You you know what I'm saying?
0: They did surgery on a grape once and they're going to do it on you next.
1: Yeah,
3: I want to say I'm already annoyed with like when you call. Like, customer service, and you get the shitty robot that doesn't recognize what you're saying? Why the fuck would I trust something to open me up and fucking work on me?
0: Me trying to spell my last name when I'm calling about why my electric bill is so high, and I'm screaming the, uh, the the military fucking letters at him, because it doesn't recognize my fucking name. You're telling me Dad's gonna cut me open one
3: day? Fuck you! I'm I'm
2: calling it here though. I honestly think that's not unrealistic at all, considering that the American medical system is like on the verge of collapse and has been for a few years. And we already know that uh, companies would rather like buy huge, expensive machinery than like actually pay workers anything.
0: So I work at a medical institution. And recently I was reading through our intranet site. So we have these articles that we can read and all these sorts of things. And one of the things that we were talking about in an article that I read was about integrating AI into specific departments and how you should contact the information technology department on ways that AI could be introduced into your own department to increase efficiency and um, increase, it was like patient care quotas i think so we're seeing this already and i mean where i work at there's a lot of ai already being introduced into specific patient care fields so i don't even want to see where that shit's gonna go in 10 years who fucking knows
1: and i think that speaks to um just this trend now that we have this ai that's advanced enough to do something that every tech company every professional institution they are just peering into every little nook and cranny of their whole operation and figuring out, uh, can we put the robot there, please? Mm -hmm. Um, oh, can we replace the janitor yet? No? Okay. Uh No,
0: absolutely. Um, the progress, right? Progress! I I think that... The cult of progress.
2: Within, within, like, civilization's existence, the idea that AI can be, like, fought against is really silly, because if you imagine this comment, like what was it like 400 years ago, Ned Ludd says, uh, Hey guys, how do we stop the combustion engine from taking over society?
3: Mm -hmm.
2: (laughs) (laughs) Like when you're just, when you're faced by that sort of revolutionary technology that changes how society works, you, I mean, you're just along for the ride at that point.
3: And I think too, that like this idea of you can stop want technology is, does again fall into reform. um, And again, that's, you know, and I'm going to reference Ted again, is that like this idea that you can stop one technology, like like the energies you're wasting on that, you know, it's just it's not worth it for you, even for your mental health. But yeah, no, absolutely not. And I I think we can see certain
0: societies that are trying to abandon this technology, but over time, they're going to have to adopt it if they want to stay relevant. Um, We've seen this in the past with various governments where when a new technology comes in and an old one is being pushed out, governments will try to subsidize that old technology to keep it going, to keep people happy. But eventually it's it's going to take over, just like they did with the fucking coal industry. Um, eventually the old world is, as we see it now, and it's weird to reference what we're experiencing now as the old world, but eventually the old world is going to continue crumbling. It's it's going to peel away, and the fresh skin at the bottom after your, all of your old, dead, dry skin comes off is going to show. And in 30 years, we're going to be having another conversation about this with the new revolutionary technology that happens. How do we fight against it? What do we do? And ultimately, like uh, Emmanuel said, we're just going to be sitting and enjoying the ride. <laughs>
3: you know? There's nothing we can do. I mean, we don't even have to go all the way back. We don't have to go back to the combustion engine. Look at computers. And like, you know, what's funny, even like the left, um, the left at the time in Europe, like Marxist-Leninist groups were destroying computers because he saw them as like as a, reactionary. A, a, a tool of the bourgeoisie. And it's like, <laughs> damn, if the, left was, if the left was on that shit now, I think we'd get along a little bit better. You know, I, I thought that was interesting that like they were willing to acknowledge that. But like the left, because I would say to a point, I kind of respect stuff. I will say, I respect certain leftists and leftist like groups or movements historically to a point. like Maybe their specific project they engaged in. And like one of those things, like, yeah, r- recognizing what the computer represented for like class struggle, so to speak, was really interesting. But unfortunately, the left this is might, all for that yeah, shit. This might come off...
2: This might come off as um, a real controversial one coming from the, the anti-civ person. But I think that the whole, like, uh, puritanism stuff also applies to AI that, although you should not use it in a way that's obviously going to sabotage your life, like de yourself and so on, I don't think you also need to, like, be adverse to using it if if it uh, b- brings you personal advantage, the same way that we're not ad- adverse to um using this technology to spread our ideas.
0: No, absolutely, because I don't think anyone that lives now would argue that... Um that you shouldn't go to the grocery store to get food when you're hungry, when you can go sit outside and try to catch a rabbit, you know, it's, it's just, it's easier for me. So I'm going to use it when I have the opportunity to, when it benefits me.
1: Again, like you said, Emmanuel, we're along for the ride to an extent, you know, I get so much joy from making the AI image generators, make these little pigs and I (laughs) cry laughing. And I know everybody else in here does you know just just have a little bit of fun please no the the ai memes
0: that we make are really funny and maybe one day we'll show them to you all it's so absurd all right i think we've got one question left oh wait no we have Um, two
1: two yeah so uh this might sound like a gotcha or at least leftists might use it that way but asking as a fellow green anti-civ anarchist How does primitivist critique of domestication grapple with what could plausibly be characterized as non-human forms of agriculture? I'm thinking primarily of ants farming domesticated strains of fungus and aphids, lesser-known damselfish farming algae and mysid shrimp, but also the broader passive cultivation of seeds in dropping squirrel-bearing nuts or mountain lion prey caches, encouraging specific plants that attract more prey. Obviously, the ecological effects of these are wildly different from human civilizational fixed field agriculture. But it seems like primitivist currents can often be overly reliant on anthropocentric or humanistic binaries to structure their critique of CIV.
3: So, this is a conversation that's been going on for a couple of years now, particularly uh, from Bellamy Fitzpatrick in his work, Cross of Consciousness. And he approaches particularly like the ants doing agriculture. And there's been some responses from Zerzan, Kevin Tucker, and the like. For me, it's like, just look at the difference. Is there a social breakdown between, like, is there a, is there a noticeable difference between ants that practice the so-called agriculture and those that don't, or rather domestication? Like, you know, a species can do something and it works for them. For me, it's like, agriculture on its own does not necessarily mean something bad but what does it, what is its context? What are the implications and its consequences? And we've seen what those are for 10,000 years, over 10,000 years, you know? And then in terms of the storing food, this passive cultivation, that's a really interesting topic. Uh, Daniel Quinn talked about storing food is not unique. Uh, Many animals do this. It's the idea of that you do not wage war against other species um, in terms of like that defense. And that's where civilizations, they store their food and then they go to war. Right, with the not just each other, but the world, right? And they alter the world deeply. I mean, even Neolithic agriculture, you see mass burnings for their fields, you know, the monocrops. So I mean, yeah, we can approach those things, but also recognize like what are the implications and the differences. Uh, Kevin Tucker's framed it in the sense of um, like oh, how would you say it? This it's the difference is it's not a historic event. Um I want to let me look this up real quick. Yeah, it's a fairly common argument. I think even Green Anarchy posted some stuff before about quote ant agriculture. I have to admit, reading this was difficult, logistically speaking, holding my computer sideways and reading the text that way. But I'm not familiar. But I am not unfamiliar with the argument. In terms of the argument, there's my there's a one main counterpoint. If ants do indeed garden and domesticate, then it would mean nothing for us. As far as we might know, it, ant agriculture is an evolved trait, ostensibly one that could have always. They could have always had. Likewise, it could be recent domestication by or of humans is historical It represents a change in subsistence strategy and evolutionary trajectory. We aren't ants that they might do something doesn't mean it's justifies as permaculturalists would argue. But what what we do nor. okay. I'm sorry. Let me restart that sentence. I'm stuttering that they might do something that doesn't mean it's justified uh what they do i can't read this it's so poorly written i'm just gonna cut it there whatever i left it said when we are ants a black widowed female decapitates and cannibalizes the male after mating i don't see anyone using that to defend dahmer so i mean yeah like we're not it's kind of like the the vegan the the Vieden argument well we're not lions because you know some people argue well you know lions eat meat but of course the difference is that we're not and so yeah there are definitely anthropocentric uh, aspects to uh the primitivist critique for a lot of them but i don't think that's inherent but i think those are uh really good points to bring up so i appreciate that question yeah
2: ants have a completely different biology than us they are like by nature very collectivist i don't know if it would be fair to say that they don't have individuality but they are like you said they that those are the natural conditions of them like being like the agriculture that they do does not like modify them it does not like change how they live where where it's the opposite in humans, you can see that societies that become agricultural have become radically different to the 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 negative impact of everyone basically.
1: All right, um, here's the last one. It's so sad. Um, what brought you? Uh, I'm I'm sure it means all of you to your current ideas. Um, we want to go down the list. Start with Artemis.
3: Oh sure. Uh, so I've been open about it. Um, in high school, I was kind of like an uneducated liberal. But as time went on and the people I associated with in high school, I definitely took a turn to the right. Uh, Part of that is where I grew up in my background. uh, Most of my family, I would consider, are like the right wing of the Republican Party for the most part. Not all of them, but for the most part. Um, Early in community college, I did flirt with like far right ideas. Uh, But then I took a sociology class and it made me realize I was like, oh, shit. It, it, like in my mind, I was like, "Oh shit! It's white people who are bad. It's not Jewish people. It's not immigrants. It's not queer people. Like that whole kind of thing. Like that realization." And then I read Fight Club, and that introduced me to like in a parody version, like and like anarchism and like radical, radical revolutionary ideas. And then I read Kropotkin. I didn't understand it, but I read Mutual Aid: A Factor in Evolution, and then I somehow came across to Zinsky and Zerzan pretty closely after that. And then I just, I ran with it. And I've, I have diverged from primitivism from time to time. And that was definitely during my like chronically, what is the term chronically online? What am I thinking of? The term, you know, is it chronically online? What no, what am yes, I thinking of? You know, uh, oh, terminally, yeah. terminally online, terminally online. Like the, oh, actually I'm a mutualist. Oh, I'm an anchor, you know, that kind of thing. But ever since I really settled down and I read the literature, and I, I've stopped being online all the time, and I've definitely decreased my online time. Uh, you know, I just I've I've kind of hand you know hammered down my my ideas, and I'm still developing to be sure. Because um, what I thought was pr- my idea of primitivism and my primitivist critique two years ago, well, a year ago, was very different than what it is in the year of our Lord 2023. So I mean, mine was a pretty linear. Not, I mean, I had experiences in terms, especially in regards to like organizations with the BLM riots and and things related to that. I won't get into Um, what happened to my exposure to like strict organizations uh, really pushed me towards like, you know, radical decentralization and anti-organizationalism.
1: Very cool. Um, Brady, what's your story?
3: I kind of talked about this
0: a little bit uh, on the episode with Zerzan where I kind of grew up in a pretty normal kind of Midwest family where people, at least in my direct household, really didn't get into politics all that much. I mean, like we watched the news, but everybody watched the news in the mid 2000s, you know. So it was one of those things where I talk to my parents about politics but they never really gave me any strong kind of push one way or the other and i didn't think about it much up until i would say my my freshman or sophomore year of high school around the time 2014 when the ukrainian Euromaidan uh, revolution started happening that's when i really started getting more into like why are these people pushing for the things that they're pushing for. I didn't understand why people would go out into the streets and fight for things until I really looked into what they were saying themselves. I'd say at that point, I started calling myself more of like a, just like an average Democrat. is at that point, I just thought that Democrat meant the things that I agreed with, that was good. And Republicans were the people who disagreed with what I agreed with, so that was bad. Um, Then I would say around the time of 2016, uh, around Bernie, I've started getting more into what I considered to be more radical politics. Obviously now I, I don't think so, but the ideas of, oh, wow, things can be different. Somebody is talking about things being different than they've always been like that. That was pretty intoxicating for me as a young person. And after the election, I started getting more and more radical. I started reading Marx and I... Probably just called myself a socialist around that time, 2016. I started getting into the anti-fascist scene in Minneapolis, and I was part of the, the IWW and the General Defense Committee up there. I started seeing people waving around red and black banners, and I didn't really understand what that was until I finally talked to one of them, and they told me about anarchism. And now, I, I knew what an anarchist was. I had heard of it before, but I really didn't understand what anarchy was. So, the kid I was talking to gave me a copy of The Conquest of Bread and Mutual Aid and told me to read them and then give them to somebody else when I was done with them. And kind of ever since then, anarchy has taken a hold of me in various different forms, whether it was social anarchy or what I would call myself now is more of an anti social anarchist. And that's kind of it for me. I've never really had a right wing phase, I don't think.
3: Brady, can I ask, uh, could you go into. If you'd so please, your when because when you, we met, I was an egoist, you know, and I I don't really know if that label. But you were like, I would never be an egoist. Egoism's bad, and you had a very deep critique of egoism. But then you came around to a sympathy to it. Can I, you explain what happened?
0: Yeah, yeah, I would say that for me, I saw, I took a very, I'm a very literal person, and I don't know if that's because I'm a little bit on the spectrum or what it is. It's probably that. But when I hear people talking about uh, self interest and being selfish as good things. I took that very literally. I didn't look into the context of what they were saying. And I just thought, well, being self-interested is bad. I care about the people that are around me. And if I'm selfish, that takes away from my ability to care for the people around me and create a better community, country, world, whatever you want to call it. Uh, When I started talking to you and talking to other uh, egoist-centered people, I understood that What's good for yourself is often what's good for others as well. And at the end of the day, we really only have ourselves to look out for. Uh, That's really what started taking a hold of me then. I don't know if you want me to get in any deeper than that, because I could keep going for an hour.
3: Well, I was kind of hoping you talk about when that woman yelled at you when you were at work. Oh, yeah, I got
0: got into a heated argument with a woman at, at work, and it made me understand that I was more
3: misanthropic than I thought I was. No, I will never get over. We are in a group calling you joined. And it was just, I could hear it in your voice. You're like, I get it now. I was like, you get what? You're like, I get egoism. I was like, what happened? You're like, I just got screened by at some, some old lady at work for 20 minutes. And I just sat there realizing I hate other people. <laughs> <laughs> and
0: it's not even that, too. Because I, I wouldn't say that I hate other people now. I just understand what being self-interested means. In comparison to my relationships with other people, that everybody Mm -hmm. is self-interested. Some people just try to hide it as much as they can. Even these communists, these leftists who are doing good deeds, who believe that they're altruistic, are ultimately still self-interested.
3: Yeah, I mean that's what Sterner gets into with like the uh, kind of like the false egoist. You know, the 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 person that you know you convince yourself it's not for selfish reasons. But it is. And of course, selfishness doesn't necessarily mean something negative, you know? No. But yeah, I'll stop I'll, I'll stop holding space now.
0: No, no, you're good. And I guess it kind of, my journey expands from there as well, too. I'll try to finish this up as quick as I can, because for a while I was a primitivist, or I was post-siv, and then I became a primitivist, and now I don't really know what the fuck I am. I'm just a person with opinions, and sometimes I'm angry, sometimes I'm not, and I'm an anarchist. That's all I can really tell you about me now. When I'm not apathetic,
1: I'm an anarchist. Here for it. And how about you, Gavin? What's up with oh, you? Oh God. Um, I don't know. Uh, <laughs> I- I'll say I-, I started being interested in politics around the 2016 election. Um, you-, you know, at that time I was pretty fresh into high school. You know, you have those teenage hormones just pumping you full of garbage, and you know, everybody's talking about, oh, look at this Trump guy. He's pretty cool. He's pretty shitty. Uh, look at this Hillary chick. She's pretty cool. She's pretty shitty, but you know, I was like, they're, they're both kind of weird. So, um, you know, at that young time, you you just start looking for alternatives if you're in that situation. And the easiest thing to look to is libertarianism. You know, the the yellow party. Spent some time with that, but I, I just ended up getting more and more radical with that kind of ideology. Eventually, you know, I started experimenting with every damn color of the rainbow of anarchism. Yeah, I started um, as a anarcho-capitalist. Spent some time with them. That's that's when I met you, Brady. Um, you joined into one of our voice calls and um, you, you shot on everybody in there. And um, yep,
0: one versus twenty. <laughs> Let's go.
1: Yeah. After a while, I was like, "Yeah, this is fucking stupid." So, started looking more into. Market anarchism that isn't capitalist in the lane of Benjamin Tucker, Perdon, you know, that kind of stuff. That's at the point where I would have met Artemis. Um, but you know, I spent a lot of time, yep. you know, just reading and writing the most ass nine shit.
3: I was there for that. I was a partier project. Well
1: the free thinkers union. Yeah, the free thinkers right? union. Um mm-hmm. that that was that a was so that bad. was a whole era. But yeah, eventually moved away from that. Um And at that point, would have known Artemis and Brady, you know, this is when I started joining them on like the the leftist side of things, you know, real anarchism, um, at at least real compared to anarcho-capitalism and, you know, Marxism, all all of these things that are on the left. And, um, you know, spent my time reading up on all of that, you know, just at this point, just still trying to find a space for myself, but, you know, that's some really cool people to share that space with. And um, yeah, I mean, after that, you know, I kind of just listened to Artemis more and more about this whole anti-tech, anti civ thing. And it's some of the most interesting and thought-provoking conversations that I've ever been a part of. So kind of, kind of in this space now. At yeah. this point, I I just don't give myself a label. I'm Gavin. Nice to meet you. An Arco,
3: An Arco editor. He's the anarcho- editor, editor is
1: an authority. Yeah. No, I, I really appreciate it. And
0: before y'all ask, we do
1: pay him. Mm-hmm. Being an Very editor well. is an authority. We need to abolish um. it.
3: <laughs> Fuck you. <laughs> I think we got, cool ed- about that. We, we got an editor. We got an editor, which is I got mad trying to edit the fucking know. <laughs> yeah.
1: That's why where, where it all started. Like Artemis was like, Oh, podcast podcast for like a solid year. I was like, yeah, go do it. It'll be cool. And then, Episode one of Critical Capital. How do you do the thing?
0: How do no, I do it? How do I get rid of that? In about a 45-minute episode and then lost Yes. Yeah,
1: it? so I've relegated myself to doing the tech part of the anti-tech podcast. <laughs> but yeah, that's where I'm at. No label. I just like talking about this shit. What about you, Emmanuel?
2: My political journey has been pretty funny because I've always been the sort of person to have very strongly held beliefs, even though throughout... I mean, obviously, they've been wrong for most of my life, but I've always had a sense that something was off with the world, and I've always been like trying to search for the answer of why that is. Why is the world like it is? Why do I not enjoy it here as much as I feel like I could if the world was different? And I started out in high school as just like a, a basic libertarian, because they they're the party that that tries to preach that they are like believers of freedom. But that got busted as soon as I took an American government class and realized what lobbying was and understood that private property is incompatible with freedom. Then I took a one hundred and eighty degree turn and became a Marxist Leninist, read State and Revolution, <laughs> would defend Stalin and um deny Soviet war crimes in front of my history teacher.
1: We
2: all done that. I did that, but in college. I just, I mean, it's just a very convenient worldview because you just have to believe all the propaganda those governments put out, and you know, your 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 arguments are infallible. That's CIA propaganda. That's American propaganda. But um, I just got uh, I I don't know, bored. Like I realized that that wasn't that didn't really have anything to do with freedom either. And so I started reading some anarchist stuff, but I went pretty quickly into reading Ted Kaczynski's uh, manifesto Industrial Society and its Future. And from there I made a Instagram account some people might know of where I basically just posted excerpts from Industrial Society and its Future and then ended up posting lots of very strange memes. And along that path, I began listening to a certain podcast. Yeah. Yeah, I just started talking to y'all. And then I became educated on how limited Ted Kaczynski is and started to form my yeah. my own critique. Because for a while, I was just kind of following what Artemis says, because Artemis is always saying the smartest shit. But now I feel like I stand on my own two legs more. I can have my own ideas.
3: Yeah, look at how much I you love in about shadow, hands. bitch.
0: Look at, look at how much. Shadow. No no no. Be quiet. You're ruining <laughs> what I was about to say. Look <laughs> Sorry, at how much we to... look at how much we love our fans. Uh, Emmanuel used to be a lurker in the comments section, and now Emmanuel's on for our what was supposed to be 1,000 subscriber Q and A special. But y'all don't y'all anti tech, primitivist, anarchists can't seem to find the goddamn subscribe button. <laughs> <laughs> like, who would have fucking guessed?
3: Well, this uh, so episode... we're just doing it now. This episode's not going out till at least, like, middle of August. Who oh,
0: no, knows?
1: We might hit so, that by then. We'll, so, we'll see.
0: It would have gone out before then, but y'all need to start telling Artemis to not invite one gorillion people on the fucking podcast.
2: Can we get Derek <laughs> Jensen on the podcast? Ask what... Fish- <laughs> can, <laughs> we get, no, can we no. get Kevin no. Tucker
0: on the podcast?
2: We can ask him what his favorite fish position is.
3: <laughs> <laughs> the salmon. <laughs> the, the, he's gonna say i like the whittling salmon oh <laughs> all right well before we keep going y'all
0: i'm just gonna end it here i'm gonna take executive control i know i'm a horrible anarchist i'm gonna end this show here thank you all for listening thank you to everybody for being a part of this we're gonna try to keep putting out as much as we can um i'm gonna try to be on more but i feel like i don't have as much to say i know emmanuel plans on being on more often I may have some of my own content coming out soon, and who knows, maybe Emanuel will as well. But thank you all for joining us. Is there anything else that anyone wants to end this show
3: off
1: with? Love you. Yeah. (laughs) No. (laughs) I want to say,
3: you know, the last couple of months in 2023 has been actually really incredible for us. Uh, In that time, and I know Gavin can get into it more because he's the stats person, but we've had our fastest growth for an episode with the John an episode, which a lot of people you know, received very highly. We've had some really great guests on this year. And I, I just want to say thanks for the incredible support that we've been getting. We know like we weren't consistent. Like if you looked at it, we've uploaded how many videos It well, I, who knows what it's going to be by the time this goes up, but m- mid to high thirties. And we've been around for like five years. That's pretty <laughs> fucking rough. That's really <laughs> fucking rough. And if you go to any of her social media or any of her old episodes, it's Brady and I saying, don't worry, guys, there will be more content. Don't worry. <laughs> no, it's I just now. have to
0: say that, yeah, we haven't been the most consistent, but it's free content. You get what you get. Eat the slop, and we'll feed you when we think you're hungry. Eat the okay? microplastic. <laughs> y'all, are, y'all are living off of our free labor, so y'all can handle waiting a little bit longer sometimes. You know, covid got we all became severely mentally ill, more so than we already were, and this is what you get. All right. Well, thank you all for joining us. Have a good night. Um, Don't use chat
3: GPT for pickup lines on social media. All right. Bye.